And uh, the question this week Philip has given us, this is kind of like, I think what happens is we answer the question and then he re quickly rewrites the sermon. Um, so we'll just give him a bit of a head start. Okay, so this is the sermon this week. Um, Karen, would you mind sharing it, please? Mostly because I forgot to write it down. Any second now. It's about the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the question goes like this. Traditionally, people have had much more discussion concerning the tree of the knowledge of good and evil rather than the tree of life. Hmm. What does the tree of life mean to you? So that's your question. What does the tree of life mean to you? Immediately, I thought of, um, in, uh, my dad used to live in the Middle East, in Bahrain, and out in the desert, there is a place that they call the tree of life. And it is this tree that blooms in the desert. And it's amazing. Like you go there and it's, uh, the, the whole thing is vibrantly green in the middle of desert. And it must be over some kind of spring or something that means it's there, but they call it the tree of life. Mm. So that that just immediately sprung to life. It's just life that um, in the middle of nothing, life still blooms. In the middle of desert, there is green abundance. Um, so yeah, if you wanna, that was my little thought for the day. Um, if you have a thought about that, what does the tree of life mean to you? Then um, just, you can either raise your hand by going to the reactions, you can raise your hand and then I'll see that you're there, or you can just start talking and Taryn will spotlight you just as soon as she, um, as soon as she hears you speak. So over to you. What does the tree of life mean to you? And again, if you want to be a part of the recording that goes on our podcast, then say, I opt in or message me to say that you want to do that. Otherwise I will edit you out. So uh, what does the tree of life mean to you? I know when I think of it, I actually have a, a different thought about it. Usually when I've thought about the tree of knowledge, it's been like, okay, let's find the knowledge. Let's find the right thing. Let's find what's true. And then we are going to, it must be from the tree of knowledge. And then I have to deal with it. I have to obey it. And just for me right now, thinking about the tree of life feels like looking around, lifting my eyes and going, where am I seeing life in me, in someone else around and going, oh, Therefore, that must be from the tree of life. So it feels like, to me right now, it feels like it's a backwards relationship the way I used to work with the tree of knowledge versus the tree of life. Cool, thanks, Josh. Anybody else wanna hop in? Um, <clears throat> well, the tree of, in the story of the Garden of Eden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil uh, turned out to be a bad thing. It was like, I thought about it going, well, people couldn't handle the, it was just too much, too much to know. But then the tree of life, um, I think of the, image of a tree planted by streams of living water 
and it bears fruit. Uh, actually, I did a <laughs> I did a big painting one time after church when uh, a song had referred to the tree. Hmm. Do you want me to show it to you? I'd love to see that, Kathy. Oh, okay. Yeah, go grab it. Um, I love the tree that you've got behind you as well on the wall. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Oh, the joy of Zoom that we can actually go with Kathy to visit her artwork. Oh, wow. Okay, come look, you guys. Oh, that's okay. beautiful. beautiful. Nice. And the stone well, behind there? So I have the acorns, uh, meaning Lando and I, and then generations of fruit. Mm -hmm. And the uh, stream is ridiculous. It's fabric underneath and glitter on top. Uh, that's cool. <laughs> but it's supposed to be glorious. <laughs> it is glorious. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's You're beautiful. Welcome. That's lovely. Couple more. What does the tree of life mean to you? Everybody's appreciating your artwork in the chat, Kathy. All right, well, um, you guys can keep thinking about that and we'll come back and we'll have some more time after Philip has spoken. Um, so uh, that's his, that's kind of giving you a little primer to be thinking as, as he's speaking. And I'm gonna hand over to Karina, who's gonna lead us in communion. And you need to unmute. Karina, you need to unmute. Karina, you need to unmute. Josh is running. Karina, you need to unmute. I just got yelled at. I'm muted. Sorry, guys. Um, hope you enjoyed the babbling silent mouth. That's different for me. Um, so anyways, we're doing communion, something to eat, something to drink. If you want to grab that, that would be great. Um, today, just as a, our segue into communion, um, I don't know if you remember the math lessons on pi. Josh was trying to explain because he like is a math understander <laughs> and that's very different from me. I'm more artsy than mathy. And he was trying to explain it and I'm sorry, I can't, but it was, you know, it's the 3.14, it has to do with circles and fancy things like that. Anyways, tomorrow is March 14th, 3.14. And that is a day that in, um, in, well, back when Josh was a math teacher, he would like get like all of these like McDonald's pies and like have special contests and stuff like that back when he was teaching. But also in recent years, it has become a day kind of in the church calendar. I want to say Anglican and United Churches for sure celebrate Pi Day. And it is a day when we celebrate being public, intentional and explicit towards our inclusion and affirmation of the LGBTQ plus community. And so we felt because it was the Sunday just before that, we just wanted to take a moment and um, honor that as we come to the table. And something, um, something that I was thinking of is like, Jesus was public, intentional, and, and explicit in the way that 
that he included people. And, and generally, if you read the stories of the miracles and Jesus' influence, it's, Jesus is always being public about accepting people that were in the margins, accepting people that did not get noticed, did not get included. And so I think I, I love the idea of um, being public, intentional, and explicit. It's like the difference of saying we're specifically naming people that have been unwelcomed in the church and, and saying, we need you, you belong here. And so in, in the way that pie is math, and we're gathering here at the table um, where we celebrate and remember just the great example of Jesus and forgiveness and love demonstrated on the cross. I, I thought in a way, um, something about the table is, is that the table doesn't belong to us. The table is God's and we are just welcome guests. And I think sometimes in the church, we have thought that we were in charge of the table and we were supposed to gatekeep the table, decide who would be in or who would be out at the table. But instead, Jesus invites us to do better math, to preach a better gospel and to realize the table is not ours, but that we need a wide table with seats that um, we're all are welcome, all are included, and nobody has to hide what they bring to the table. And in the same way that uh, Pi Day is a math concept, I was thinking about how in the last six months, especially as we have moved over into being public, intentional and explicit about our inclusion and affirmation of the LGBTQ plus community, how that math has made a difference for us. And, and our hope is that as a church um, on this Pi Day, you would, our, our queer brothers, siblings in the family would feel like your sorrows are divided um, and, and in the ways that being unclear, being private, being accidental has caused such harm. And I hope that in being celebrated and welcomed that your sorrow has been divided. And I, and I want you to know that as a community, our joy and our perspectives have been multiplied. We are better because of the perspective involvement and inclusion of you in our church community. And I was thinking you have um, added diverse perspective on what God is like and how God relates to you in your queerness. We're so grateful for that. And then I thought you've also really, you're, the way I'm just so amazed at the way our queer friends show up relentlessly and say, I belong here and, and you do. And in doing so you subtract fear and prejudice and judgment and stories of theology that just have not served the church well. And so I'm so glad for your presence at our table. And we need you, we love you, and um, I hope you feel celebrated today. So as we move into communion, I'm gonna be reading um, from Jan Richardson's poem, The Table. And I'm grateful that Jesus built a table where everyone is welcome. And one of the pictures that has come up often in our community is a table that moves. Instead of the table being static, it's a table that looks for people who have been pushed out and moves the table towards them. So I'm just gonna read this meditation together and then we're gonna take our communion together. So this is, um, and the table will be wide by Jan Richardson. And the table will be wide and the welcome will be wide. 
and the arms will open wide to gather us in and our heart will open wide to receive and we will come as children who trust there is enough and we will come unhindered and free and our aching will be met with bread and our sorrow will be met with wine and we will open our hands to the feast without shame and we will turn toward each other without fear and we will give up our appetite for despair and we will taste and know of delight and we will become bread for a hungering world and we will become drink for those who thirst and the blessed will become the blessing and everywhere will be a feast so um i invite you to partake however that works for you this morning thanks for joining us for communion And I'm praying for Philip. Lucky me. We're so glad you are um, speaking into our community this morning. God, I pray that you will just bless our friend Philip. Thank you for your participation and involvement in our community. And I thank you for all of the hearts that are present here on screen and who will listen later on to this message. May our hearts be an open table to receive everything that you have given Philip to bring to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Guten Morgen. <laughs> That's good morning in German. <clears throat> now you are muted, Philip. I am unmuted. Can you hear me? Good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did everybody hear my German uh, uh, greeting? Okay, you good. Start again. Oh. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I actually uh, I grew up in Germany as a as a young boy, uh, and uh, so I'm actually uh, for for those of you who would care to know or don't care, uh, I am bilingual, uh, but I I never use my German uh, here too much. Uh, but it's 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 an interesting thing how you uh, you know you can just kind of be doing life as you know it now and suddenly I pick up some German literature and I'm reading it as fluently as I would in English and I'm going this is weird this is funny like <laughs> this was a this was also my life in another time uh, fascinating how we just we we have these these different lives that we live and sometimes we forget about a life that we that we had <laughs> that makes us who we are now but it's it's a fascinating thing uh, actually was uh, when uh, Karina was just talking about just this uh, pi, P-I-E, uh, just the inclusion of just celebrating just the various just diverse expressions and people who just have felt like they just don't fit in, which in some ways we all do. Uh, and, you know, oh, how, how do, you know, how do we kind of reconcile some of these things with what I how I've understood the Bible and suddenly I, I thought of a quote uh, from the the famous uh, C.S. Lewis anybody's ever heard of C.S. Lewis but he he was a 
talking about uh, well, he's written many things, but one of the things was this whole thing of the inerrancy of Scripture, or however, however we understand that. But he wrote a, a letter to a guy named John Berville's Bevers Lewis uh, in 1963, and uh, this wasn't necessarily in a book, but these were this was published, and he said uh, he was saying to his friend, the ultimate question is whether the doctrine of the goodness of God or that of the inerrancy of Scripture is to prevail when they conflict. I think the doctrine of the goodness of God is the more certain of the two. Indeed, only that doctrine renders this worship of him obligatory, even permissible. Uh, so the the point being is that uh, how we understand scripture or what we thought was without error it's 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 a it's a constant moving target but uh, goodness moves us beyond uh, certitudes and platitudes and uh, you know we're, we're at best you know we are much more than just belief systems um, let me just say uh, it's this is the first time I've ever uh, shared looking into a computer screen I've never done this before I've done actually qu quite a bit of sharing in years past just in you know Brenda and I used to uh, host a kind of like a home church kind of thing for about three to four years and then also when we would go to uh, we had we've been lucky enough to be able to to go uh, and uh, volunteer at the uh, the prison uh, in mission for many many years, and so between that and and just you know I've had the opportunity just to share some thoughts. Of course, you know we all bring uh, our perspectives, our ideas. I'm going to say stuff that uh, you know some but someone else may or may not necessarily agree with, and that's. Uh, that's perfectly fine. Um, I wanted to start by saying this. Um, everything that we talk about, everything that we, every discussion, every agreement, disagreement, every idea, when we talk about, uh, you know, understanding life or scripture, I think if we could somehow get into this greater understanding of knowing that we are all starting in a place of absolute and complete union with reality itself. And to me, the reality is love is the greatest reality, the thing that is holding everything together. It's this singular idea that you know, we, we've, we've read in scripture, you know, well, who is God? What is God? And it, it, it's, it's, there have been so many metaphors used for this understanding of who God is. But I think this idea that God is love. So if, when we experience love, when we experience in so many different various forms, we're experiencing God. So, you know, as we, you know, we, there's, the scriptures, the the biblical narratives, this this thing that has all these ancient texts, and sometimes they're confusing, and sometimes they're clear. And one says this, and then you know, 
700 years later, the same story gets shared, written by another prophet, and it's not quite the same. But there's this, there's this, there's this kind of arch, this thing that's leading somewhere, and that's the what I see as just the understanding that we are starting in a place of union. Um, so, Mother Teresa. The Blessed Mother Teresa. <laughs> Speaking of union, uh, she once said, I believe in person to person. Every person is Christ for me. And since there is only one Jesus, that person is the one person in the world at that moment. And uh, so again, it's her her understanding of ultimate reality amidst all the just you know we've got a, a very normal and just real kind of set of life challenges that we all have it's just life as we know it we've got billions of people on a planet where we've got enlightened people we've got egos we have cars that are flying around uh, on highways that uh, the brakes fail and we have all these kinds of uh, just chaotic uh, happenings and within that all we're being held by just something so beautiful and oftentimes we we forget we forget who we are we forget who we belong to um, I remember it just came to me last night I actually have to uh, my friend Brian uh, Brian Dirksen he wrote a song uh, and I don't think we've, I don't think it's actually been published, um, but there was this phrase, uh, you belong to me, you belong forever. Uh, and, you know, I just, just kept ringing, uh, going, I just, I hadn't totally forgot about the song because we had maybe played it once somewhere. I actually have to ask him about it again because I think we need to record it. In any case, let's... We're going to, I've got some passages here, um, just to kind of, uh, I got these lectionary passages. I wanted to actually, I don't know if anybody's uh, knows this or mentioned it, perhaps at the beginning, but uh, I wanted to just give a shout out to this person who is kind of the author of this uh, lectionary. Uh, Oh, no, that's good. Uh, his, her name is Wilda, or Will. She's the one who wrote this book called A Woman's Lectionary for the Whole Church. And uh, an, Amer an African-American biblical scholar and Episcopal priest who is professor of the Hebrew Bible, so the, the, the Torah and the, I guess we would call, we would say the Old Testament, uh, Hebrew Bible at Bright Divinity School of Texas Christian University. So... I, I was just kind of curious about, uh, okay, we've got this lectionary, this book that we're going through, and, well, who is this person? And it's always nice to, you know, yeah. oh, this there's a face to this book, and uh, so fabulous. Um, so I would love to uh, start by reading one of the uh, the passages. It's in Ephesians 2, 4, uh, and so here goes. Of course, this is one of many, many translations, mm. and uh, you know, I uh, I remember uh, one of the uh, meetings we had at the at the prison 
some time ago, there was a fellow there who was is uh, a Jewish, uh, Jewish, and uh, we were talking about just the whole uh, discussion of understanding these ancient texts. And he said, yeah, he said, well, even for people who know their Hebrew, uh, he said, you know, when you're when you're talking about ancient Hebrew it's even for someone who is a Hebrew person themselves, there's just so many complexities, hence translation. So here's the translation I'm reading. I don't actually know even what the translation is called because it was just in the book. Uh, now God, who is rich in mercy, loving us with a great love. When we were dead through our trespasses, brought us to life together with Christ, which means everything, right? All things. Paul says uh, Christ is all and in all. So just a, a definition for, for Christ Jesus. Uh, so let me say that again. Who is rich in mercy, loving us with a great love. When we were dead in our egoic patterns, whatever you want to call it, brought us to life together with Christ when we were not in our right mind. By grace have you all been saved. Not the, not the believing necessarily, not the ones who've dotted their I's and crossed their T's and you know it's, it's while we were still in our confusion and in our madness. Grace comes to us and saves us and it's a saving isn't a one-time event please it's 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 a continual process every day i'm being saved uh, i'm being enlightened there are these moments where i just go oh my word i think i just got saved uh, mm -hmm. and so that it, 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 if we could understand that it's just it, it's this it's a movement it's not static uh and God raised us up, all of us together with Christ, and seated us all together in the heavenly realms. This, that God might show in the ages to come, the abundant riches of God's grace and kindness towards us. For by grace have you all been saved through faith. And even this thing of, uh, there is a, uh, Sometimes there have been some translations who've said through your faith, our faith. Well, that's actually, if you read, if you if you actually read the ancient texts, it actually means through the faith or the faith of God. It 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 literally means a faithfulness that is. Uh, I mean, it's it's inside us, but it's outside of us that comes to us. Um, and and that's why you and that's why we read here. You've all been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. This isn't some sort of faith that we conjure it's, up. It's, it's. He asked me to do this, so just in case oh, you're wondering if I'm being the meddling wife, he asked me to. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, the faith. It's. I've often heard it say it's the faith that the gospel itself produces. So it's not actually we have it first. It is there first, and when we hear it. It already exists and it comes to us and it it's almost like it gets ignited in us it's not like something we have to come with but it's something that we're dead and it ignites in us it's like oh my goodness that's good news and we we come alive that's so it. it's it comes from outside in a sense and 
makes us wake up. That's right. Yes, uh, Brenda here. I said, Brenda, you're like, I, I may be on Zoom here and I'm looking at people on the screen, but you're, I, I, I want to have you with me here. We're having a conversation. So that I've, got a, I've got a real human here and then there's humans out there. And uh, so, and I, I'm glad I can see you guys laughing, but I hear nothing. It's the strangest experience. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. I, I heard I heard a sound. It's it's too funny when you're looking here and you're doing your thing and you just there's this these this but it's just dead silent. Uh so but I think we're doing okay. I hear Brenda laughing yeah, and someone yeah, else did too. Uh so uh so okay, uh you've all been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It's just a sheer gift of God. It is not the results of works so that we can't boast. It's a gift for, uh, and uh, now here I, uh, I chose a different translation for verse 10 just because I, uh, well, w what's in this book is for we, for we are what God has crafted, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our path. I've got another uh, translation from the NRSV, which is New Revised Standard Version, whatever. For we are what he has made us created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Um, again, um, this uh, this is kind of like our starting point. Uh, and now we can go back like thousands of years and we're going to now read something uh, in Genesis. Uh, and we're going to go, okay, well, how does, you know, how does this all come together but it's 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 actually a fascinating arch uh which uh which leads us to like the conclusion you know paul's like you know paul the apostle you know he was on this journey of kind of a a revelation that just kind of is developing and you know like he he writes stuff i you know it's not like what he wrote is 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 like lock stock and barrel it's also him just being on this journey where it's evolving and it's unfolding and it's an unfolding in all of us the you know if, if the word of god which by the way when that is used in the bible i think maybe once it's only referred to christ we know right when we read that in the the book of uh, john right it's the word becomes flesh and that idea the word word actually means blueprint if anybody cares to know uh, so it doesn't mean uh, a passage of scripture the word literally means the origin the original blueprint uh, becomes human form anyways let's uh let's go to the other passage genesis chapter 3 verse 1 <clears throat> um I'll read it. Uh, now the serpent, not snake, serpent, uh, had more naked intelligence than any other animal of the field that the sovereign God had made. Okay, so God makes this serpent, interesting, and says to the woman, the serpent speaks, uh, indeed did God say you two shall not eat from any tree in the garden well of course no he didn't that, that's it's, 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 it's fascinating it's, it's it's rhetorical uh 
The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of any tree in the garden we may eat, actually, though of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden you two shall not eat, unless you two shall die, which, of course, they don't either die physically. It's, it's just this fascinating just conversation going on with things that, uh, you know, are rhetorical, and it's, it's, it's a, kind of a, a very interesting text. Um, then the serpent said to the woman, you, you too will certainly not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you too will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree that was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and they eat it, and their eyes are opened. And what happens when their eyes are opened? They look down. Whoops. <laughs> There's something there. I'm naked. And uh, Nathan Newdorf, that was for you. I, I That's so hilarious, Philip. <laughs> I, I thought I'd say something silly. I thought, that's something Nathan Newdorf would state. Uh, so that's for you, Nathan. Uh, and uh, thanks for the shout out, Kevin. Uh, you know, it's it's an interesting thing. Uh, I was just uh, speaking of uh, the you know understanding, you know, uh, scripture and especially these ancient texts. Um, you know, C.S. Lewis talks about where a lot of these ancient texts really are much more about stories trying to convey truths about consciousness, about awareness, about how we come into our uh, understanding who we are. So he, he, there's a quote that I don't need to necessarily read, but he talks about how mythology is, you know, yes, there's history in there, but it's more about the way they would convey ideas. And as we move, you know, towards more like even, you know, the to the, the life of Christ, a lot of that mythology starts moving into a more historical framework where, okay, that, that there's this is actual history. Uh, the, uh, what did, uh, oh, a guy named G, I don't know anybody heard of G.K. Chesterton, one of the great uh, 20th century uh, writers, uh, love G.K. Chesterton. Uh, he actually... He once uh, said this fascinating thing, and I'm just going to pull that up here. I've got a few sheets of paper. Uh, there we are. Uh, this is. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> this is the speaking of uh, this passage in in Genesis three. This is the great fall, the fall by which the fish forgets the sea. The ox forgets the meadow, the clerk forgets the city, every man forgets his environment, and in the fullest and most literal sense forgets himself. Again, I'm, I'm re he's referring to what's the point of this, this story in Genesis of you, if you eat, you will actually be like God. What is it? What's the text actually saying? So G.K. Chesterton is saying, most literal sense, we're all forgetting ourselves in that moment. This is the real fall of Adam. By the way, the word Adam means humankind or mankind. Okay, so it's not, Adam is not actually a person. Uh, hopefully, to some people that may be a surprise, but it literally, again, it's a representative of, of a group. Same as the Garden of Eden. The word Eden means pleasure, if anybody cares to know, which is kind of cool. Um, so, metaphor. 
Um, so he says here, this is the real fall of Adam, and it is a spiritual fall. It is a strange thing that many truly spiritual men, such as General Gordon, whoever General Gordon is, have actually spent some hours in speculating upon the precise location of the Garden of Eden. Most probably, we are still in Eden. It is only our eyes that have changed. Isn't that incredible? We are in the Garden of Eden, but our eyes have changed. What is it that we see? Or what is it that we're not seeing? Uh, C.S. Lewis once wrote in a book called The Weight of Glory. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature of which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Mm -hmm. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. So, my take on the, uh, first of all, this, uh, I mean, there's, there's, there's many things we can say. What's my time here? It's 20 after 11. My goodness, time flies. <clears throat> I feel like I've just started. Uh, and I've got like four more pages. What to do? Uh, so, we're, 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 we're it's, the, the, for me, anything that I've ever shared is all about who we are, who we belong to, the union that is true of all living things, all creatures, plants, and how is it that we respond, ha have responded throughout history, both positive and negative. Um, that's kind of my shtick, uh, and uh, I kind of frame everything through that. Um, I'd like to just actually point out that based on that passage that I read, this... Uh, Wilda, she just has, you know, she's a scholar, she's a PhD, she's done a lot of, uh, she understands the, the, the ancient texts reasonably well and has, has, uh, has, has had some insight and just some perspective. She just says that something about the serpent uh, because uh, we, I think in reading the text, we sometimes forget some of the things uh, that are right there in front of us, like God created the serpent. Well, you know, why would God create if, if, if we understood, you know, how we understood it was, it was some sort of like demonic snake or something like that. Uh, and, and yet this was a creature that God had created. Well, here's what Wilda says about the serpent. Uh, in the serpent, God creates a creature who will stir human curiosity to potentially dangerous limits. It is useful to consider the serpent apart from the crutch of post-biblical misidentification with Satan. Okay, uh, which, by the way, the word Satan never has does not actually ever get used once. That that uh, phrase gets used for the very first time. This is just like a uh, some sort of extra piece of information that some people could care less about but it, it you read it in the Old Testament for the first time in the story of the donkey Balaam and the prophet anybody know that funny story where the donkey is talking 
That's the first time we read that Hebrew word. It's actually hasatan, which just simply means adversary. And in, and the funny thing is, is that the scripture says the angel of the Lord or God sent an angel, and that angel was literally called hasatan, the adversary, to to actually oppose the prophet. Uh, yeah, in this text, the God-crafted serpent is an agent and fall guy, an external place for humans to place blame. Well, he made me do. He said this, and and it's not my fault. It's it's a scapegoat, right? Uh, so, um, so perhaps rather than tempter, the serpent is more like the tester. What will humanity do in response to boundaries? Test them, bend them, break them. Uh, the serpent also tests something else. How humans hear things. How do we interpret things? Uh, how do we remember or tell or question and interpret God's words? Did God say, really? Um, and so, uh, yeah, I just thought, oh, this is it's, it's very interesting, uh, fascinating. I, I, I would like to propose this. Uh, I was, uh, we've got these two kind of trees. We have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and, you know, when we can know what's right and what's wrong, and we can parse things out, and we can, speaking of scapegoating, it's his fault, it's her fault, they did it to me. Um, it, it, it just, it's just so good for the ego. It just feels like I'm right and you're wrong, and it's and settled. and it's settled. It's done, you know. And and so it, it's like, if you eat of this tree again, this is this is about the development of human consciousness, of awareness, and how we are as a society. It's that the text is saying, if you if you eat of this tree of the of knowing what is good and wrong, you're going to die. Now, this death, of course, is not a, a physical death. It's like you're you're your eyes, like C.S. Lewis said, you are in the Garden of Eden. We still are. But it's your eyes. It's what you're seeing or not seeing that has changed, not the garden. Mm -hmm. And so the tree of knowledge, good, it, it, it's two things. Or we might say it's dualistic. It's, it's one or the other. But then we have the other tree. And what's the other tree? The tree of life. And the tree of life is only one thing. It's not two. So, and, and, and so how do we reconcile all of our opposites, our inconsistencies, our, you know, we are fully divine and also we're just very human and we're frail and all these things are one, but it's, it's like when we try and figure it out through the with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil we we separate ourselves from our truest selves our our true self who we are we're, we're, we're basically judging ourselves we're condemning ourselves and others subsequently but if we're we're basically living in this place of the tree of life it's like it's it's in another place where we are um, knowing something that goes beyond just simply mathematical principles it's it's things like unconditional love it's it's forgiveness 70 times 7 it's seeing 
it's seeing everything as a whole, not not separate. Um, you know, you've got your uh, you know the 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 your sinful nature and then you've got the the other nature and how do we reconcile that to me is dualistic I think we need to see things through the lens of we are one with yeah we are we're, we're absolutely come into this world as as whole as we're going to be um, so um, what what does Paul say years later he says uh, I'm convinced I'm absolutely convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, nor anything else in all of creation, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. Um, so, like, if that doesn't set us all at ease, I don't know what can. And out of that, can we can have discussion. But Paul's like, I am convinced, okay, because, you know, I was, I was on a tirade. I was on a, on a journey to Damascus, and my truth, my knowledge of the good and evil, had me convinced that uh, the, the followers of the way, they were, they were obviously wrong and uh, these people needed to be destroyed. It was in my, my quest and my, 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 for truth, in my truth, where in that moment I was surrounded, not by judgment, by a fire, a pillar of fire that just completely blew me up in smoke. It was light that surrounded me and opened my eyes and I'm in I'm 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 having this mystical kind of tree of life experience mm -hmm. that moved me right out of my dualistic framework. I'm right, those people's followers of the way are wrong. Suddenly he's like, "No, wait a second. We are all we are all come from the same source." And so, you know, years later, you know, he he goes into isolation for however many years and that's discussion. But this I'm convinced nothing and absolutely nothing can separate us from the truth that we are all held together by love. Uh and and so let's 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 just say this the, the this narrative in chapter 3 is comes it's it's questioning the the tester in a sense is saying well are you if if you do this then you will become this in other words eat this and then you will be like god or then you will be this and it it's it's asking the wrong question because we've obviously in that moment forgotten that we are already one with with love and so now it's like well wait a second i thought we were uh, already God's beloved or we are made of him and now now we're not we're missing something and so we what do we need to do to attain something and that's what gets us into a, a whole lot of mess uh, and so it's it's in this this slow arch that just moves towards greater revelation of what where this is all leading uh, we read here Jesus says to his disciples at one point, he says this, On that day you will fully realize that I am in the Father, the Father is in me, and I am in you, and you are in me. On that day you will suddenly realize this has been an objective truth. Did I say objective is right, right? Not subjective, yeah, objective. It's an objective truth 
that has always been real, but now made manifest. Uh, one of my favorite passages actually is is uh, uh, another one that Paul, uh, that I've, I'll assume it's Paul, who knows, but I still love this. Yes, he talks about, speaking of the tree of life, let's call it a, a mystery. The word mystery is again, where we're speaking of of, of being able to hold all these opposites and things that make sense and don't make sense together in one thing. And he says, I, I, this secret, or I should say mystery, which has, no, this is in Colossians, it's, it's a truth that has always been true, but it's been kept a secret for ages and generations because we're, we're just, that's just been our kind of like journey. And he says, but now it's been revealed to everyone and you know what this you know what this truth is you know what the secret so-called secret is Christ in you that's that's the conclusion the conclusion is you know we're reading we go back to Genesis 3 again did God say you can, if you do this then you can have that and Paul's like no no the conclusion is the mystery that has been hidden because we just couldn't possibly see it is this it's already true of us Christ in us and so then okay well how shall we live how shall we have and you know do life um, so I'm supposed to I guess finish around now shucks uh, <laughs> that's just terrible <laughs> um, you know interesting thing about Jesus uh, Jesus asks mostly questions as opposed to just giving us answers uh, I, I'm sure you, you've known that you read these you know you look at the stories the parables it's fascinating he asks 183 questions directly or indirectly 183 in the four Gospels of which he answers three of them outright the others he ignores he responded with another question or changed the subject and told a story <laughs> or gave a visual aid to make a point so you know it's like oh, that's the wrong question how about this question so again certainty dualism good and evil you know it's like uh, you know the the Jewish teacher well, I shouldn't the teachers of the day are like well okay so this is true you know what about this and they're basically trying to trap him with this and 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 he's always moving to this place of uh, the tree of life where mercy has the greater say and it just everything just gets reframed uh, okay um, I would love to want to make sure that I've I'd like to end with a just a quote from a someone who I really admire a guy named Richard Rohr um, and uh, just go with that I, I just wanted to say that um, there were a couple other passages uh, as well and I would have been happy to actually read them and talk about them as well but I, I just don't have any time but there but I will say this is that um, we see this kind of conclusion where Paul just has this idea wait a second I I, I was killing people who were absolutely loved and as precious and in union with God as as even me the one who is murdering them like this this is hard to understand and imagine 
and so we're writing about it and uh, you know I, I, I just feel like uh, the, the framework through which we interpret everything you know biblical texts are just the the changing narratives of the day is if we use the the framework of the tree of life what is the tree of life to us what what is it that brings life to to a situation that will always produce possibilities and a creative we call it grace where it's just it's it's inside of us but it comes to us as well and it's a revelation of of moving beyond just uh, this kind of simple yes and no kind of thing and I'm gonna just read this from two things from uh, a uh, final quote here we go I'll read it <laughs> Uh, as disappointed, Richard Rohr is saying, as I get with religion, I can't give up on it. Only healthy religion is prepared to point us beyond the mere physiological to the cosmic, to the universal, to the absolute. Only healthy religion is prepared to realign and reconnect all things and reposition us inside of the whole mm. in true community instead of mere individualism. Only your soul can know the soul of other things. Only a part can recognize the whole from which it came. Mm. But first something within you, your true self, the part that, that, that Paul was saying uh, the mystery that has now been finally revealed Christ in you or as Jesus said you will realize that we are all one we've always been one so this is what he's saying your true self but first something within you your true self must be awakened most souls are initially unsaved his idea of this is in the sense that they cannot dare to imagine they could be one with God or ultimate reality or I love using the word universe too, I'm sorry, but I, to me the universe just ex is this constantly expanding thing that we don't know how, you know, how far out it's still going and when it's coming back. Um, this is the illusion of what Thomas Merton called the false self and what I have taken to call the separate or small self that believes it is autonomous and separate from God's love. Uh, so the final stupendous gift is that our separate self becomes the raw material for our unique version of true self. Our ordinary lives and temperaments are not destroyed or rejected. They are transformed. Or as the preface of the Catholic funeral liturgy puts it, our little life is not ended but merely changed. This perishable nature will put on imperishability and this mortal body will put on immortality. One including the other, not one in place of the other. He's quoting 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Your true self is life and being and love. Let me say that again. Your truest self, the Christ in you, is life and being itself and love. Love is what you were made for and love is who you are.